Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning, this is Peter Lewis. It's Monday the 7th of August. Welcome to a new week of Money Talk. You can find this podcast on Substack, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Just look for Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Last week, we were ranked number 23 out of more than 250 financial podcasts in Hong Kong on Apple Podcasts, according to Pod Status. So thank you for listening to Hong Kong's original Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And in today's business and finance headlines, the US economy added 187,000 jobs in July, up from a downwardly revised 185,000 in June. That marks the smallest increase in non-farm payrolls since December 2020. It was also below market expectations of 200,000 new jobs. The unemployment rate ticked lower to 3.5% from 3.6% in June and below market expectations of 3.6%. It was the second consecutive monthly decline and the lowest level since April. Average hourly wages came in ahead of expectations, pointing towards higher inflation. Average hourly earnings rose 0.4%, the same pace as in the prior month, and by 4.4% from a year ago, matching June's advance, and surpassing market expectations of a 4.2% gain. China announced on Friday it will lift tariffs on Australian barley imports as of August the 5th. The Chinese Ministry of Commerce has ruled that it's no longer necessary to continue to impose anti-dumping duties and countervailing duties on imports of barley originating in Australia in view of changes in the Chinese barley market, it said in a statement Friday. Australia's trade, foreign and agriculture ministers said they welcome this outcome and expect a similar process to follow for the removal of duties on Australian wine. In March 2021, China introduced a five-year tariff of up to 218% on Australian wine. India backtracked Friday on its sudden plan to curb laptop and tablet imports without a licence, giving companies three months to secure the permits. The move came after Apple, Samsung Electronics and HP froze new device imports to India following the abrupt order last week. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Tim Huxley, Chairman of Mandarin Shipping. Providing a view from mainland China will be Yan'an Wu, the Chairman and CEO of Surfing Group. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks were lower Friday in a choppy session after a sell-off in Apple and a spike higher in Amazon after their earnings reports. All the major indices reversed earlier gains during afternoon trading and finished the week with losses. The S&P 500 was down for a fourth straight session, shedding half a percent to finish at a three-week low of 4,478. It was the worst week since March for the benchmark index with losses of 2.3%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 150 points, or 0.4%, to end at 35,066. It edged down 1.1% for the week. The Nasdaq Composite dropped for the fourth day, dipping 0.4% to settle at 13,909 and took its losses for the week to 2.8%, the biggest since March, weighed down by Apple. The VIX hit levels north of 17, the highest since late May. 
Apple's and Apple, Amazon and Apple were the big movers on Friday. Both tech giants reported results late Thursday. Amazon jumped 8.3% to its highest level in nearly a year after massively beating expectations on profit and offering positive guidance. By contrast, Apple tumbled by the most since September 2022, losing 4.8% after reporting lower revenue than a year ago. The stock slid after the company said it expected another decline in revenue in the September quarter, which would mark the fourth quarter of declining revenues in a row. The stock is up, though, 40% so far this year. Treasuries surged Friday and yields fell following four days of steep losses. The jobs data Friday prompted a massive Treasury rally with the belly of the curve outperforming the most. The two-year yield dropped 12 basis points to 4.77%. The five- and ten-year yields both fell 15 basis points while the 30-year yield tumbled 10 basis points. On the week, and taking into account the recovery on Friday, US two-year yields have fallen 10 basis points, five-year yields have fallen two basis points, while the 10-year has risen 10 basis points, and 30 years have risen 19 basis points, with the 30-year yield posting its second-largest week-on-week rise of the year. The dollar rallied for the third straight week, though a fall on Friday. It raised some of the gains. The Japanese yen ended the week 0.4% lower at 141.75 against the dollar. Onshore yuan ended the week a third of a percent weaker at 7.1706 renminbi after falling below 7.20 renminbi earlier in the week. Hong Kong equities rose Friday but saw sharp weekly losses. The Hang Seng Index paired gains from earlier Friday and climbed 119 points or 0.6% to 19,539, shifting from losses in the prior three sessions. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.2% to 3,288. For the week, it was up 0.4%. And Chinese property stocks surged on Friday after officials of the PBOC met with representatives from eight private firms, including Long Four, Country Garden and SIFI. The central bank said it would increase funding support for for private companies' bond issuance and meet the reasonable financing needs of developers. And this morning, futures markets are pointing to losses of 130 points or 0.7% for the Hang Seng at the open. And just a reminder, you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our guests on this Monday morning. We have with us, as always, on a Monday morning, Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Good morning, Peter. And joining us this morning also is Tim Huxley, who is Chairman of Mandarin Shipping. Morning, Tim. Good morning, Peter. Let me give you a summary of the non-farm payrolls data, which was out on Friday. Non-farm payrolls expanded by 187,000 for July, slightly below the estimate for 200,000. Previous month's totals were revised higher. The June count dropped by 24,000, while May was cut 25,000 from the previous estimate. The unemployment rate was 3.5% against a consensus estimate that the jobless level would hold steady at 3.6%. And that rate is just above the lowest level since 1960. A more encompassing unemployment rate that includes discouraged workers and those holding part-time jobs for economic reasons fell to 6.7%. That's down 0.2 percentage points from June. 
Average hourly earnings rose 0.4% for the month and 4.4% over the year, both above their expectations. And another important figure, the labour force participation rate held at 62.6%, the fifth straight month at that level. The rate for those in the 25 to 64 prime age group edged lower to 83.4%. Alex, what do you make of this data? Uh, the, the, the market is cooling and, uh, and I think the initial reaction of the market actually is a positive uh, that uh, we probably um, do not need to see another weight hike soon. So, um, uh, and and also I think uh, the the global um, picture is actually is slowing as well. So I think that it will help to slow down the inflation. Uh, of course, the job market, act, um, the the wage actually is still still in uh, in upper pressure. So um, that is uh, the the thing which uh, still in uh, concern. Where are all these jobs coming from, or where are all these workers coming from to fill these jobs? Mm, I think uh, 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 right now we have a mismatch and the service sector actually is still hot. So mm. uh, this is uh, what's uh, driving the market. Because um, job growth needs to be about 70,000 to 100,000 uh, to keep up with the growth in the population, the working age population. Um, we're still seeing jobs much, much higher than that. So presumably it's going to take a while, isn't it, for wages to come down with that sort of, that sort of jobs growth. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I think uh, uh, right now, actually, it's happened in the world that uh, the age population actually is coming back to work uh, for many sectors. So mm-hmm. that, I think, uh, probably will help a little bit. And also, I think uh, uh, women actually will also come to work uh, more. So um, that is helping a little bit. But I think uh, the, the gap actually is still quite high. And the, because it's, a transac- it's in a transiting into, into a, a surface economy for manufacturing, so I think uh, this kind of a transition actually will take some time. Okay. Tim, what do you think? It's a bit of an odd economy, isn't it? Normally what happens is when the central bank raises interest rates, people start uh, getting laid off, then they stop spending, and that causes a recession. We don't seem to be seeing that um, at the moment in the US anyway. No, uh, but certainly as far as uh, the shipping industry is concerned, the bit that I'm focused on, uh, so long as you are keeping more and more people employed, that is the key thing. They've got more money, they will spend more, and that will therefore... Uh, increased sales, so there will be a positive uh, spin on imports and um, and and trade in general. Mm. Uh, so long as that employment keeps going up, but um, uh, you know, I agree with Alex. I mean, <laughs> where where are all these people coming from? Uh, I mean, it does seem to be a return to work uh, in quite a big way, but. Are people then actually going to be spending the money that they're earning, mm-hmm. or are they going to be using it to pay off their higher mortgage rates? Or, you know, we've seen, I mean, particularly in China, we've got this huge problem with youth unemployment. Are you doing it because you've got to? Are you going to keep your money because you've got to still cover the cost of your kids? Mm. Well, one of the things I'm hearing from a lot of firms at the moment is that unlike in previous sort of downturns, they're not laying off employees like they did, for example, in 2020 at the start of the pandemic. They laid off lots of workers. This time, they want to hang on to them and they're finding other ways of cutting costs, but hanging on to workers at all costs. Is that something you're seeing in your industry as well? Sure. I mean, you know, you don't want to lose that established skill set because we're all finding problems of recruiting uh, skilled labour. I mean, you know, Hong Kong in particular has got a real issue here, and uh, so ideally, that's your your staff are one of your biggest assets, mm-hmm. and you're going to hang on to them for as long as you can. 
I mean, we saw it, didn't we, here in Hong Kong in the pandemic, certain sectors like airlines laid off lots of people and now bitterly regret it because they can't get them back. Well, yes. I mean, you saw the convention centre at the weekend. I mean, the sort of uh, uh, airport uh, career fair recruiting. <laughs> uh, and there are lots of jobs there. And, uh, and I think I hope it was a big success. Alex, is this calling enough for the Fed, do you think? Or are they still going to be concerned? Because they're watching the jobs market like a hawk, aren't they? And particularly the uh, the wages. I think actually they can wait. Because uh, recently the downgrade in the US Treasury actually is helping uh, to cool down the economy because it's uh, put the, a fall on the long-term rates. So uh, actually, um, uh, corporate probably may need to um, get uh, pay higher because of this downgrade. So I think uh, this is an effective anyway hike already. So uh, I think uh, they could probably could wait and until we see uh, some drastic data. Otherwise, I think uh, the Fed actually would, would would take away that attitude. Were you surprised by that downgrade last week? Yeah, a little bit because uh, the, the 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 situation of the U.S. government actually is well known. Mm-hmm. So the downgrade actually is uh, is pretty, I think, uh, arbitrary or trivial. Actually, yeah. Say, yeah. But odd timing, wasn't it? Because they didn't downgrade when all these discussions were going on over the debt ceiling, but then did it when actually it's all been resolved, certainly for this time anyway. Anyway, I think uh, this uh, this has already been done, and so I think uh, we probably should focus on the impact. I think uh, it probably would uh, would 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 make the the long term rates stay high. We're we're seeing that, aren't we, with the ten year yield? It's above four percent now, quite firmly above four percent. Um, and it's been used to, it hasn't really got above that since the financial crisis, whereas that now seems to be a new floor uh, for the 10-year. Yeah, with this downgrade, I think this floor probably may stay longer. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is effectively a anyway, hike for me. So uh, this is uh, uh, why the Fed probably could wait on the short-term way hike. Does it change anything in terms of your portfolio? Uh, I think uh, the, the major impact is on the uh, growth stock in the US right now. Uh, and I think uh, you, you have to be more sure about their, their growth. Otherwise, I think uh, the pullback actually would happen. Uh, mm. So I think uh, these three days are more vulnerable. If you look at the uh, price of ARKK, actually, this reflected in the price yeah, last week. The, 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 the pullback is quite sharp. Mm. But uh, for, for more, more stable leaders, I think uh, this is okay. So I think uh, this is uh, more of a change to quality right now and so uh, we are paying less for uh, stories right now but uh, more more for the certainty mm. uh, Tim I'm wondering if Fitch have actually done us a favour because it's making people think a lot more about debt and deficits and how economies are financed and how companies are financed um, uh, as well because we've been used to free money for a long time haven't we that's definitely over that is most definitely the case and I think that the rise in interest rates I mean that's not just going to affect uh, consumers but obviously <coughs> every company now their investment decisions are uh, slightly clouded by the fact they're going to be paying a lot more uh, to borrow ships and especially to borrow money and especially if you're in a high cap highly capital intensive industry like say say shipping mm-hmm. uh, then um, you're you've got quite a squeeze on the available uh, lending that's that's around from banks, but also uh, it's a lot more expensive. So you're going to think twice about it, especially at a time when you've got a, a sort of wholesale decline across across particular sectors, like you have in shipping. Do you think um, companies are prepared because? We've been used to so long now artificial interest rates, really, that have been held at 
um, very low levels. Um, this is going to last now, isn't it? We're never going to go back for a long time anyway to those days of zero interest rates and negative interest rates. Are companies prepared that, you know, their, their financing costs are going to be a lot higher? Well, never say never on anything. As we've repeatedly seen so many times, uh, everything can come back and bite you. Uh, but no, I think people are prepared actually for, for higher interest rates. <coughs> I think quite a few businesses have actually, I mean, despite the pandemic, have actually had quite a good run and they've actually managed to accumulate cash. Uh, and I think that uh, people do not, there, there is a much more reticence to go on a, a debt fuel binge at the moment. Uh, for expansion for the sake of expansion. So mm. I think that there is a degree of caution. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, for a lot of shareholders, the CFO of a company is going to be their best friend. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Alex, does it change portfolio global capital flows as well in terms of um, what uh, Fitch did, also what the Bank of Japan has done? I'm wondering if combined um, we're going to see a change in, in sort of global flows. Yeah, I think... Uh, uh First of all, I think uh, some companies are prepared and some are not. So uh, the, those are prepared actually are in well, uh, good positions right now. So um, say in Hong Kong, actually, uh, take for example, uh, Link actually is not prepared, so they, they have to do a web issue to mm. raise money. So uh, so they are they are they are they are punished by the market. So I think uh, we do have some uh, well prepared companies. So I think uh, those probably would would take the current uh, situation as an advantage to expand. So I think uh, this is a polarized market. So I, uh, this doesn't change the flow too much. Uh, just depend on individual company quality. Okay. Yeah, I agree with Alex. I mean, you know, th there is an opportunity out there as well as this being mm. uh, something to be slightly worried about for some. Mm. It's going to sort out the winners from the losers, isn't it? As, as Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been bathing without a swimsuit. Indeed. <laughs> Let me ask you a bit about trade, because there's been uh, a bit of information on sort of global trade flows. First of all, Mesk, which is the world's second largest container shipping company, has predicted a longer and deeper contraction of um, global trade. They're, they're pretty well a benchmark, aren't they, for what's going on in global trade? Or are they? I mean, we assume they well, are. But yes, I mean, container shipping. And, you know, if you live in Hong Kong, you see this sort of every day. I mean, container ships churning up the Lama Channel. Now, Container shipping is carried the carriage of manufactured goods. Mm. So this is a sort of end of the whole economic cycle. When I mean, you've carted up your raw materials in bulk carriers, they've all been turned into something manufactured. So then this is the manufactured goods going off to their markets around the world. And uh, yes, uh, Maersk, they, they're not very optimistic. I mean, they've got uh, they're predicting four up to 4% contraction in global trade. And this comes on the back of their uh, second quarter profits. Uh, now, they made $1.48 in the second quarter, uh, which is not bad. I'm sure quite a lot mm. of companies are quite happy with that. But that compares with $8.6 in the same mm. quarter last year. So that's a pretty massive drop. And now th this is really one of the key things about uh, why uh, shipping in particular has uh, had, a, had a pretty rough year across all sectors, is that with the untangling of COVID, you have Basically, supply chains have become much more efficient. You're not having ships delayed. We had ships delayed for seven weeks off mm. California mm. Uh, at the height of the pandemic. And that takes out a massive amount of capacity and hence forced rates up. You didn't have truck drivers. You didn't have crane drivers. So the ships couldn't unload. So there's suddenly a massive shortage of capacity. Now we've gone... If the shipping industry has inflicted the same self-inflicted wound it always does 
after a boom time. You have 18 months, two years of a really good market. And what do they all do? They go and order too many ships. Right. <laughs> so we've now got, with a contraction in global trade of up to 4%, we've currently got 947 container ships sitting in shipyards being built. Now, that's an extra 30% of capacity. Now, you bring 30% onto any market and yeah. you've got a problem, especially when trade overall is going into a downturn. So that's really the, the upshot on container shipping, and that's an interpretation of Maersk's forecast there. Okay. Are they being unnecessarily gloomy? I mean, sometimes companies are gloomy about the global forecast to sort of disguise a little bit their contraction in profits, aren't they, and sort of like to try and explain it a bit? Or are all the, all the companies, more or less all the companies, reporting a similar thing? Well, it's pretty similar across the board. I mean, I think uh, there's always a slightly more cautious uh, nature with a good Scandinavian company. Ship, ship owners, by definition, are wild optimists most of the time. <laughs> uh, which is why you have to be to buy a ship. <laughs> tell me about it. But, you know, it, it is across the board. No, I mean, if you look at uh, uh, I mean, one of our uh, homegrown uh, shipping companies in Hong Kong, Pacific Basin. I mean, their profits for the first six months, uh, they were around 76 million US, and that compares with 457 million in the same period last year. Mm. And this is the same thing, the unwinding of congestion. I mean, at least with bulk carriers, which is what Pacific Basin do, carrying minor bulks, coal, grain, uh, bauxite, all of those co commodities, uh, they're not they don't have so many ships on order, so they haven't got this massive influx of extra capacity coming, unlike the container shipping industry. But all areas of shipping, uh, the, or the main ones, are bulk carriers and containers. Tankers is a different thing, because that's affected by the Ukrainian war. Uh, but they are all suffering from this unwinding of congestion, higher interest rates, and a slowdown in consumer confidence in many of the main markets. Mm -hmm. Alex, how much is this a bellwether for the global sort of global demand, if you like? It signals that global demand is slowing. I think uh, one thing I, uh, for me is a long-term concern is that the, the change in consumption taste, because we are changing into a surface mm. more than a manufactured good. So I think uh, this is uh, something which uh, would be a concern in the long term. Mm. But do you think that that's because during the pandemic and everybody was stuck at home and uh, you know, you're buying all your stuff on Amazon and you're getting new stuff delivered to your home, everybody's got enough stuff. So now they just want to have experiences. They want to go out to the cinema and go to the dinner or go on holiday instead of actually acquiring more junk to stick in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, in the long term, probably they would still go for experience for me, yeah. uh, because I think uh, first of all, uh, uh, you can save on 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 goods, because you you actually you, every people got too many coals, I think so, uh, and also too many shoes. So when they realize that actually they probably uh, would reduce, and I think the problem is that you've. Uh, actually are, are, are changing. Actually, I think uh, they are more on experience thing. They, they pay more video games instead of uh, paying toys. I think uh, that's, that's why I think uh, we probably may see a, a continued trend in, in decline in demand for actual goods. Doesn't eventually, though, the, the old stuff that you've accumulated, it wears out and you want to start thinking about replacing it or you want to get the upgrade to the latest model of iPhone or whatever it is? Well, you, you say that, Peter, but I mean, I, you know, I look at it, I was in a second-hand record shop at the weekend. I mean, yeah, people are dusting off their vinyl out of the garage, <laughs> I mean, and suddenly finding it's worth a fortune. So, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, which 
brings back to the, the old thing of never throw anything away uh, because you know, it'll have a value one day. <laughs> Got to hang on to it for a long time. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me talk about uh, some good news and some bad news for, for global trade. What do you make of India? Suddenly out of the blue last week, decided to curb imports of laptops and tablets you've got to now get a license uh, to, to import them although then India did backtrack on Friday to a certain extent and said it's giving companies three months to secure the permits what do you make of this first of all well I thought it was uh, quite a negative thing to do to limit their access to technology <clears throat> I have every confidence that India will be a supremely important part of the global economy for decades to come but uh, it doesn't at the moment have the manufacturing base to manufacture all of this these goods domestically so uh, I think that was a, a negative move on their part um, I just hope that three months to get the licenses everybody can do it in time uh, but maybe there'll be a further backtracking on that but what will it do really for uh, companies who are looking at uh, sort of moving their factories out of other areas in Southeast Asia to India, uh, would it make people think twice? Uh, well, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. It's such a self-defeating move, isn't it? Because it's already risky moving supply chains from one country to mm. another. And it just reminds everyone that even if you move out of China, you're going to face a new set of problems in India. That was my first reaction to this. And uh, I don't know how it's going to play out uh i maybe that was sort of something that was done they must have thought about it but uh i i think there's a lot more to to hear from this mm. coming in the next few weeks yeah actually i think uh, india actually is uh, is a bit of concern because they already put some fines on xiaomi and byd and so i think uh, people probably would think twice and actually actually coca-cola has a disastrous experience uh, there over decades ago. So I think uh, this is uh, somewhat uh, reminding the market that uh, doing business in India actually is, is not easy. Mm. And, yeah. and the strange thing is manufacturers were moving to India anyway, yeah. albeit at their own pace, as you know, as the country was able to upgrade its infrastructure and provide it. You know, companies like Apple, for example, it's moving manufacturing um, to India. It seems to sort of, uh, somehow they seem to think that with this sort of move with immediate effect not even time to get used to it they always like doing things with immediate effect the indian government it's suddenly going to accelerate that process but it's not as simple as that is it no i mean this will to to undertake something like this it's it is not the work of a moment and uh, and things do move quite slowly in india when you're trying to set up a business so i'm uh, i hope there'll be a lot more thought put into this uh and i hope that it doesn't have a negative impact because uh, you know mm -hmm. It's in all our interest to see uh, India uh, becoming more prosperous and uh, um, and becoming you know another another global force, it, it, which it will be. Uh, but uh, it takes gonna, time. It takes time, and you're going to need that overseas expertise and investment. Mm. And this doesn't really help help encourage that. Presumably, Alex, the person that's hurt the most by this is the consumer. It puts prices up, doesn't it, for for the consumer? Yeah, of course. This is always the case. Uh, I think companies probably will still be in, in India because uh, of the, uh, the, the the good demographic situation mm. there. And also I think that people expect uh, India to get wealthier. So the local market actually will be huge. Mm. So I think that that's why they are paying, uh, even, even, even with the risk.
Mm. Well, a piece of good news on some trade. China announced on Friday it's going to lift tariffs on Australian barley imports. Uh, That came into effect on August the 5th. The Chinese Ministry of Commerce has now ruled that it's no longer necessary to continue to impose anti-dumping duties and countervailing duties on imports of barley originating in Australia in view of changes in the Chinese barley market. Not sure what those changes might be, but it probably wasn't a good idea to impose them in the first place. Is it? This is just another example of how self-defeating tariffs and trade restrictions are. Yeah, I mean, uh, they lifted the coal uh, restrictions last year. Uh, obviously, the commodities that they really need Australia to provide, like iron ore, they were never subject to uh, these restrictions. Um, I mean, these are barley and wine. I mean, they're not gonna. Well, they're not gonna change. Uh, they're not gonna transform the shipping industry. Uh, but uh, it's you know, it, it's a move in the right direction. Mm. I mean, Alex, the, this was political when it was put on. It's political taking it off as well, isn't it, really? It's all to do with changing relations with Australia, between Australia and China. Yeah, I think so. I think it is more political, yeah. yeah. I think the, in, initial in, the, the, the initial uh, 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 exertion of this is already a political move. So they are removing this as also as a political move. Yeah. It does make you wonder, doesn't it, why not doesn't the US remove some of its tariffs on China, which are also, we know, political and also pretty pointless as well? well i mean what's the point of having tariffs on bicycles and things like that i mean this is all sort of like you know back in the days of president trump wasn't it when tariffs were slapped on everything and then china retaliated with its own countervailing uh, duties but it's time really isn't it to try and maybe make a, a, a gesture and move remove some of these tariffs without a doubt without a doubt they i i've Never really found that there is uh, that they are effective in in any ways, and uh, any disruption of free trade is uh, a negative, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that the do have for some countries you do need that sort of nurturing of industries, and uh, and uh, and at the same time you need to nurture industries, but also uh, try and avoid people sort of dumping mm-hmm. uh, you know, subsidised uh, products that undermine other industries. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, let me just get your thoughts before you go on the markets. Two sort of key things from last week. One was um, the surge in Treasury yields, although they did come off a bit on Friday, but still left them um, a, a lot higher, aren't they? Is this How significant is this? I think uh, it uh, is uh, more on those companies uh, on growth story. So uh, we, we have to be a little bit concerned about um, these stocks, uh, which are depending on long-term growth story. I think a public market would, uh, would, 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 would be um, demanding a bigger discount on those companies. And of course, uh, those companies are on high debts. And, and, and I think uh, the property, market, property stocks actually was still, uh, are affected by that. Mm. Uh, so um, this is uh, th- those interest rate sensitive stocks. I think uh, will also be affected. So, but uh, the overall market sentiment actually is still okay. I mm. think because the pullback actually is not that huge, and we have seen the downgrade uh, about decades ago, and the market actually uh, absorbed that okay. I think uh, the impact may be just in a, in in certain areas in the market. And the big difference between the performance of Apple and Amazon on Friday, they were the two big movers, weren't they? But um, sharply diverging share prices. I think uh, Apple actually has uh, outperformed so long, so there's a big profit taking. 
Uh, I'm actually quite bullish on Apple in the long term. I think the vision pro actually would be a game changer for them. Mm. So uh, it's a good time to to accumulate some, I think. For Amazon, actually, it has underperformed the the other mega techs for so long. So this is a bit uh, catching up. Mm. And what about here in Hong Kong? It was property stocks, wasn't it, that surged on Friday after that meeting, um, promising help for developers meeting their long-term funding needs, the PBOC said. How significant is that? I think uh, this is a good time to get out. Uh, To get out, to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... uh, uh, the property market in China is very hard to recover. So if China market equity markets is to go up, I think uh, it would be led by those mega techs, as I've said. I think uh, the private enterprises would be the way to go. Uh, uh, those uh, property-related stocks and property financial stocks would not be uh, okay in the long term. I think uh, the problems actually are structural. So uh, this is a good time to to go out uh, on policy supports, I think. Okay, so basically the, the advice is we see a pop-up in these stocks, use it as an opportunity to sell. Yeah, if you want to stay in Hong Kong, I mean, I mean, stay in Hong Kong equities, I think uh, they just go to towards those uh, biggest name uh, like Alibaba Tencent. I, otherwise, I think uh, uh, this is a good time to, 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 to get back, to, to get, back uh, to get out of the market uh, on other sectors, I think. Oh, and manufacturing okay. sector as well. I don't think uh, the manufacturing sector is in China actually is able to rebound much. Okay, interesting. Well, thank you both very much. That's Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Tim Huxley, who is Chairman of Mandarin Shipping. I'm joined now by Yanam Wu, who is the Chairman and CEO of Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore. Morning, Yanam. Morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We had a lot of data, didn't we, out last week, PMI data, um, on the state of the China economy. I mean, I'm interested in where you think the economy is. From my, my perspective, it seems that manufacturing is is in recession or about to enter recession, but the, the economy is being held up by the services sector, but that's slowing as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think the reopening of uh, China uh, since the end of last year has uh, seen, uh, I would say, a gradual recovery, a very slow recovery. Uh, the PMI data, at least you can see, as just mentioned, the manufacturing uh, uh, PMI in July was 49.3, the previous month 49.0. So still in a contraction mode. Uh, if you look at the export orders, uh, has decreased for four months in a row. So it's still de-stocking overall in the manufacturing sector. And if you look at the non-manufacturing, the non-manufacturing PMI have dropped uh, four months continuously as well. Mm. And uh, although it's 51.5, the previous month in June was 50 was 53.2. So actually, the uh, momentum of non-manufacturing sector also uh, slowed down. It, overall, the service industry that pulled up the whole economy is uh, kind of weak. It's not as uh, as strong as uh, the policymaker would expect. Mm. So both uh, manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMI shows the uh, you know the whole Chinese economy. Uh, the momentum is weak, and also the uh, service industry has not picked up, and the manufacturing still find a way to restocking rather than destocking. The especially on the ex- export side, you know, there has uh, the there was worry about global uh, mini recession, so the export uh, orders uh, still didn't help either. So overall, I think it's a little bit weak data. 
showing the economy uh, momentum uh, slow down. Do you think the risk is increasing that the services sector could also slip into contraction? Yeah, I think the, in the recent uh, weeks, uh, actually, uh, in the on the economic circle uh, in China, we have been talking about balance balance sheet recession. You know, the uh, so-called uh, uh, Japanese-style slowdown or the last decade two decades in Japan, uh, because uh, we have seen a little bit, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, deflation or pressure overall, uh, not only in the manufacturing, uh, this manufacturing side, but also on the service side. So if you like the June PPI was zero, you know, zero percent. And uh, overall, I think that we will probably see, uh, you know, a very weak PPI uh, in the whole year, and PPI is was minus four five point four percent in June. Uh, so probably look at the whole year average PPI will be really in a negative territory, probably around the minus two point five to minus three percent. So overall, I think the balance recession was the topic. Uh, you know, was. Uh, 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 the economists talking about, and also the, on the investment industry. So, so the consumption definitely has to keep pick up. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, that's why recent uh, the June July uh, uh, political bureau meeting has put strong emphasis how to revive, how to stimulate the you know the consumption domestic consumption you know, overall. So there's a so-called 20 policies, you know, to stimulate uh, the consumption uh, coming up from the Chinese government side. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that's the policy uh, direction. But that, that these measures on the consumption side, well, f- first of all, I'm wondering, have um, consumers' consumption um, preferences changed? We were discussing this a bit earlier in the show that um, during the pandemic, consumers stocked up mm-hmm. on a lot of things that they bought on, you know, online shopping platforms, got new furniture, filled yeah. up their houses. They don't want any more stuff to put in their house. What they want is they want experiences like going out for dinner, going to the cinema, um, going on holiday. Is is it the same yeah. in China as well? Has the, the spending pattern changed? Yes, I think at least uh, the behavior changes, as uh, just mentioned. Uh, after COVID, you know, the people are used to online shopping, online consumption, the offline definitely changed. People uh, still feel a bit reluctant to travel, you know, uh, especially uh, we're talking about the extreme weather just now. So so I think uh, the, uh, uh, the, the offline consumption uh, slowly catches up, although uh, the tourists, if uh, I just came back from uh, the western part of travel, in Qinghai, other province, uh, the tourist number of tourists uh, did pick up, but the the average uh, per tourist consumption uh, still very rational. Uh, I think the overall people worry about the, the future, you know, income and also maybe some layoff, uh, you know, some. Uh, Big expense in the uh, in the household, so so people are more rational in spending. So in this time around, uh, the policy, uh, the so-called uh, consumption twenty policy, focus on you know besides the uh, the 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 property market, but also focus on uh, automobile, 
you know, uh, try to promote automobile uh, uh, change and, uh, uh, you know, consumption and also home hardware, home, home electronics, home renovations, and uh, also agricultural consumption. Uh, besides digital consumption and uh, the other consumption uh, areas. So I would say it's still about sentiment. Uh, overall sentiment in the consumers are very conservative. And uh, that's why I think uh, the uh, recent uh, uh, the policy also focused on how to increase the wealth, uh, also the wealth sentiment of uh, the uh, uh, net savings uh, from household. You know, household, uh, the Chinese household did have a massive net savings uh, compared to the rest of the world. But how to revive the uh, value and also the uh, future appreciation of the household's net savings is one of the things that uh, the policymaker trying to stimulate. Mm. These measures that the uh, that the commerce departments have come out with, they seem to focus on the supply side, improving supply, um, removing some restrictions that that hold up supply. But the the problem really it's not really supply, is it? it? The problem is demand and the lack of confidence that the Chinese consumer has at the moment because he's worried about uh, the economy, worried about his declining property price, uh, worried about losing his job. Do, do these measures really deal with the demand side issues and the lack of confidence of the consumer? Yes, uh, demand, the, the weak demand definitely is one of the, uh, the topic or theme in the recent political bureau meeting. Uh, not only from the you know service side, but also on the manufacturing side. You know, it's, uh, that's why I mentioned the export order decreased four months in a row. So. The demand, the global weak demand, is definitely one of the theme uh, in uh, in the current uh, economic dilemma. Uh, mm. So, indeed, supply uh, has to uh, you know to in, you know to reduce the tax burden on the enterprises. That's why there's also uh, stimulus measures from uh, supporting private enterprise coming up. Uh, trying to reduce tax burdens and also various uh, costs uh, related to the private uh, enterprise industry. Uh, from the consumers, uh, that's why I just say, you know, the people uh, are more rational to consume and also they uh, worry about the income cannot catch up uh, the future expense uh, because they're all the property uh, and also the uh, other uh, daily consumption uh, expense also comes up. So so they want to save more. So that become a net, uh, very uh, negative cycle in terms of uh, net savings. So, so people want to cons- actually save more, especially thinking about the you know, kids' education and also their uh, future retirement. So the net saving become a trap. You know, uh, for Chinese household, mm. uh, so so rather spend more, but they want to save more. Even though there's various cities after political uh, bureau meeting have uh, implement so-called uh, consumption coupons. You know, mm. they want to encourage more consumption. When you buy more stuff, they will give you coupons. Mm. Uh, but still, this uh, net effect is. Uh, I would say marginal uh, because uh, you know the the first thing they want uh, households think about is how to maintain a more uh, you know a positive balance sheet. 
for the longer term future. So balance sheet recession is one of the worry that China will fall in the trap like Japan, uh, you know, 20 years ago when the uh, Japan was uh, also uh, focused on net savings rather than spending. The uh, consumption sentiment uh, change. Mm. So, so I think so. I think the uh, that's that's also uh, why another policy comes up trying to encourage this more active capital market. I want to uh, help uh, the Chinese household savings go into the stock market, mutual fund market, trying to increase the wealth, uh, wealth uh, sentiment and wealth level for for the Chinese household. So without uh, you know, increasing the income and also uh, stabilizing uh, employment uh, environment and also the increasing uh, household net wealth, uh, people would uh, feel reluctant uh, to, consume, uh, to consume more and spend more. So have to, this, this cycle has to be broken out. Do, do you think then all these measures that we've seen over the last couple of weeks to try and help the consumer, uh, support private enterprises, to try and stabilise the property sector, to increase the activity in the capital markets. Are they going to um, boost the confidence of the investor in the market and make the investor want to come back into Chinese equities? Yeah, I think uh, it's not just one policy or a set of policy. It has to be multiple, uh, you know, policy combination. I would say, uh, in the net net, I think the end result is uh, whether the consumers or the private enterprise entrepreneurs, they want to see the ROA, you know, the a very good positive ROA for the longer term future. So without uh, seeing the positive ROA return, you know, return on the assets, whether it's on household level or whether on the private enterprise level, uh, then uh, the consumer wouldn't uh, feel uh, strong demand to consume and the private enterprise entrepreneur probably feel reluctant to reinvest. Mm. Uh, so so I think, so I think uh, it's not just the kind of one set of policy, but it's really a, a combination. So capital market definitely has to uh, to make uh, make the strong uh, cent- uh, momentum for uh, for the overall policy, uh, so that's why I think in the recent uh, uh, Chinese, uh, you know, the regulators want to introduce, uh, you know, reduce the uh, the so-called tax uh, for, for the trading and also uh, T plus zero uh, trading policy. Uh, but after all, I think the uh, the enterprise has to make money, has to uh, be more healthier. Uh, otherwise, the capital market again is a bubble. Mm. Uh, so, so I think uh, overall, the private enterprise we had, which have contributed to, you know, overall over eighty percent of employment and uh, occupied ninety eight percent of uh, number of uh, uh, you know enterprises uh, overall. And also supporting, you know, big tax uh, mm. and contribution has to revive. So the confidence on private enterprise, I think, is the key uh, to to uh, for among the set of policy to ch- see the obvious uh, changes. Otherwise, the capital market cannot uh, uh, revive in a healthy uh, state. Yeah, and no, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Peter. That's Yanam Wu, who is chairman and CEO of Surfing Group, headquartered in Singapore. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk.
Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, William Marr, Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group, and our US Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Wood. Bye for now. Money Talk. 